Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We almost had an introduction by Brother Gabe Gonzalez, yeah, sure. but that, that's fine. We're, uh, we're an informal show here. here. That's okay. We have Dr. John Jenkins with us, and uh, he's preaching our tent meeting services. And, um, and so back once again. Glad to be back, preacher. And always enjoy his presence, his company. And um, uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I have had the opportunity since childhood forward, sitting down, whether uh, when I was a kid, it was my dad talking to whoever, you name the, you know, the big preacher, yes, and sir. picking his brain. And I got to sit there as a kid and listen. Uh, and then being a preacher, having in fellows like Brother Jenkins and uh, even sitting down with another preacher like uh, Brother Gonzalez and, and just asking ministry questions. Absolutely. And it's such a privilege. It's something that your, uh, your people a lot of times don't get the privilege of sitting in on that conversation, let alone other preachers. Yes, sir. And so this is kind of an open forum, open conversation. And, and Brother Jenkins has been in the ministry a little while. How long have you been in the ministry, Brother Jenkins? The um, I... Entered the ministry full-time, was was in the ministry a little bit before I went to Bible college, but entered full-time in the ministry in January of 1985. And uh, so what would that be, 38 years ago? Yeah, the, coming uh, up on 40. The, uh, was a youth pastor for about a year and three months, and then 33 and a half years pastoring one church, and now almost four years in my second church. So, Amen. Been added a couple of years, amen. And uh, and uh, you, brother Jenkins, right right out of the blocks there in Gaylord, Michigan, up in the middle of nowhere, yes, upper sir. peninsula of Michigan, top of the hand. Yes, sir. Um, had a very very successful we all, we church. We always miracle church. Introduced our churches. We were in the northern part of the lower peninsula. Yes. So uh, upper lower. So if that makes any sense, but yeah, we were were there. Started the church there in 1986, Mother's Day. And pastored it until uh, August of uh, 2019. So, how many church? Wonderful. How many churches have you preached in? Oh my goodness, that's a. I've preached in 47 states uh, in my years of ministry. In in some states, I've only preached there once, but in some other states, I've preached multiple times. Like North Carolina, where I am now pastor. I believe I preached in almost 80 churches there over a 30-year span. Mm-hmm. The um, So uh, I I don't even know. I'd, I'd have to sit down and do some math, I probably, if I took the time. But it's certainly, you know, hundreds and hundreds of churches I've been privileged to minister in throughout my life. How many, um, how many men and ladies have graduated from your Bible college and— there in Michigan, you know, we have a Bible college now in North Carolina in the church I pastor as well, Clarksville Theological College. I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a student there. You I'm are not a, a good student. one, but you I'm are a student. student. I knew that. <laughs> uh, working on one of your, an advanced degree, yes, and um, graduate level work. But I, I know that our college there in Michigan, we had over 200 graduates, uh, many that are still in the ministry today that graduated. Uh, the exact number I don't remember, but I remember we we often talked about the two hundred number that there was that many that actually had entered into the ministry at some point. You know, as yeah. preachers, evangelists, missionaries, Christian school teachers. At one time, we had missionaries. If you count America, you had you had graduates of our college that were in six different nations serving the Lord. Amen. And uh, you have a lot of preachers across the country um, that uh, look up to you as their as their pastor, as their counselor. 
Well, I, I, I'm humbled if any do for sure. Mm -hmm. The, um, you know, how many, how many phone, how many phone calls from pastors do you get on an average week? On an average week? It, it certainly some every week. I mean, there would be weeks I probably would talk to seven, eight different pastors in a week's time. The in you know, praise the Lord, it ain't always guys having trouble and needing Meltdowns. advice. A lot of times, it's just a preacher sharing something great that's happened in their church. I've always been this preacher. I've always been, you know, I of course went to a large Bible college, large church, but most of my Christian life growing up, I mean, I. The small church setting in the small community has really been my life experience. Uh, my dad pastored uh, several churches in my childhood. Dad is actually, this past uh, November, dad turned 91 and still preaching, still still going strong and certainly uh, humble to have such a great heritage. But my dad at one point when I was a kid pastored four mountain churches in okay. southeastern Kentucky at the same time. Mm-hmm. In the uh, the county that I grew up in, there was called Owsley County, one town in the entire county, Boonville, and I, I'm thinking the population of Boonville might be a hundred, hundred and fifty people, and that was the county seat. Another dear preacher friend of mine, uh, Doctor Lonnie Moore, mm -hmm. uh, he grew up in Boonville also. His dad, Brother Everty Moore, just went to heaven a year ago. Brother Everty pastored a church. Uh, the uh, outside of Boonville called Sugar Camp Baptist Church. My dear friend Tim Charlton still pastors that church. I preach there every year. The uh, but my dad pastored on the south end of the county, and the we our house is 17 miles from town. Again, a town of 150 people. And the last five miles getting to our house was a dirt road, and uh, we actually lived in a a. Um, complex really there was a church there was an old we call it the clinic it was a little hospital a little mountain hospital and our home uh, there were all built out of logs it almost looked like a state park kind of a thing and uh, the name of that work that had originally uh, been there was started by a presbyterian missionary in the mm -hmm. 1930s wow his name was chester rock he had come out of uh, philadelphia and it was called the faith hill community mission uh, the community it was in was called Lucky Fork, Kentucky. And so that's where I grew up. I mm -hmm. grew up in that big log house. It was an 11-room log house. It was a, about a 400-seat log church that was in the valley below our house. And we, in the mountain talk, it was called the church bottom. That's what you call the big yard the church was in. And so every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, my dad would preach at Lucky Fork. Then we would get in the car and drive back to where the pavement ended. There was a little church across the creek. You had to walk on a swinging bridge to get across the creek called B Branch. And uh, then we'd go home for lunch. And early in the afternoon, we'd leave, and we would drive back to B Branch. We'd actually go up over what was called the Buckhorn Hill, and uh, we would go to a church called Ricetown, a little community called Ricetown. And then we'd leave Ricetown, and then we would come back up over the big hill uh, down to B Branch. We lived left, and that was called the left-hand fork. If you went right, that was called the right-hand fork. And that little, uh, that little mountain road that followed the creek bed led to a little community called Mistletoe. And so my dad would preach there at 6 each Sunday. So 9 o'clock at Lucky Fork, 11 o'clock at uh, right, or a B Branch, uh, four o'clock at Rice Town and six o'clock at uh, Mistletoe. So that was 
that was my experience, and none of them were more than 30, 40 people, all small mountain churches. So I said all that to say I've always had a heart uh, for preachers that have gone to small places and uh, the uh, mm-hmm. difficult places. You know, I've always said this, preacher, you know, we, we talk about that, you know, those that we think are great in this life, we're going to find out in heaven that right. some of the unsung heroes of the faith are going to be people no, be one first. Ever, yes, yeah. no one ever knew about. And uh, much of my ministry these many years, and even our college there in northern Michigan, was focused on uh, training and encouraging and helping you know, rural and small-town churches. I believe this. I believe small-town churches have more of an impact on our nation than the big churches ever have. I, I know I know. Jack Hiles always used to say the same thing. He always said the uh, best uh, preaching was always done in the country and greatest things for God. And, and then probably um, most, of the, most of the folks at Bible College that were planning on going to the ministry came from some obscure uh, exactly. hamlet or something exactly. like that. Yeah. I mean, I preach every year in a in a meeting, actually a tent meeting in my hometown there in Boonville, Kentucky, and I stay, usually when I'm there, sometimes I may stay somewhere else, but normally I stay in the homes of some dear, dear friends of mine. This preacher, and, and you're going to chuckle when I tell you the name of the place, but his name is Brother Sammy Ray Bowling, and Brother Sammy Ray pastors the Rock Bottom Baptist Church on Squabble Creek in Buckhorn, Kentucky. And uh, I That's mean, it is, <laughs> it is literally, a matter of fact, last summer when they had those big floods in Kentucky, the Squabble Creek got devastated. Mm-hmm. And I forget the number. I was there uh, this past uh, uh, fall. I, I want to say maybe 25 or 30 homes were totally destroyed. And uh, But Sammy Ray Bolin is a giant for God. I mean, he is a tremendous Christian, a wonderful preacher, and uh, the uh, just so much. When I look at Brother Samuel Ray Bolin, he is the hope of America. Mm-hmm. Now he would deny that, but I mean that kind of a pastor that just—he's a mountain man. He was a—he was a coal miner. And, and where and is he from again? Say where he's, he's from again. From he's—it's Buckhorn, Kentucky. Uh, Buckhorn is in a—is really—it's sort of a little corner of a county that's between two other counties. There's. There's Perry County, which is where Hazard, Kentucky, is the county seat. There's um, Alsey County, which was my home county. The county seat is Boonville. But Buckhorn is right in between those two counties. It's actually what's called Breathitt County, and the county seat is Jackson. But what Buckhorn's probably most famous for is there's a a Kentucky State Park there, Mm -hmm. and there's a, a river they dammed up and turned into a big lake called Buckhorn Lake. But Sammy Ray grew up in Buckhorn. That's his mm-hmm. hometown. In another famous connection there, the place I grew up in, in Lucky Fork, Kentucky, was started by a Presbyterian missionary, the big work there, called Faith Hill Community Mission. Well, in Buckhorn, another famous Presbyterian preacher went there, like we're talking like 1900, uh, by the name of Harvey Murdoch, and he started a church, started a school, started a college. It actually became known as Witherspoon College, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, was a children's home. I mean, it was a mission compound, and still to this day, there's a big, beautiful log church there alongside the road. They call it the Cathedral in the Wilderness, huh. and it's the Harvey Murdoch Church, and um, Brother um, 
but there was actually three great works in that area. There was another one at a place called Morse Fort, Kentucky, started by a missionary by the name of Sam Vandermeer. And this will fascinate you, preacher. As you study the history of evangelism, there was a there was a, a time, there was a movement called the Student Missionary Volunteer Association that came out. And it was in the, the early days of China missions with China Inland Missions and J. Hudson Taylor and that era of missions across the college campuses of America, there was a there was a burst of energy, really a revival for mm-hmm. world evangelism. Well, in that era, a group of Presbyterian young preachers started a movement, and this will fascinate you, called the Soul Winners Club. That's what they call themselves. And uh, these guys had a burden for Appalachia. And uh, this group of men, it was the Soul Winners Club, and I think it eventually became known as the Society of Soul Winners. So they they were... um Scottish descent. Yes, yes. So that's why they're Presbyterian. Yes, sir. And in, um, these and what happened? These men started works all over the mountains of Kentucky, mm-hmm. and uh, the three I've mentioned: uh, Chester Rock, Harvey Murdoch, and uh, Sam Vandermeer. Their works were all within about a thirty-mile radius of each other. And what's fascinating about it is Brother uh, Sammy Ray Bowling the preacher I'm talking about was led to the Lord by brother Sam Vandermeer. The, uh, and you know, it was an, a time and an era in Kentucky history that, you know, there was a, a lot of pride in the mountains. I mean, the mountain people were good, hearty people, but there wasn't a lot of gospel in those mountains. And, you know, we wouldn't think of it today, but the one who really reached those mountains for Christ was not the Baptist. It was their Presbyterians. Yeah, they're with Scottish descent. Yes, sir. Hatfields and McCoys. Yes, sir. Very, very, very proud, honor-based society. Uh, but they had the uh, the roots back to John Knox. Yes, and, sir. Um, they uh, they did have a, a, li- a lineage or a heritage of yes, sir. Uh, the gospel. So those, uh, I, I watched a movie about that. It's called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think I've heard of the title. I haven't seen it, but I've heard you're that kidding. title. No, I, I, and you're missing out, brother. I'd, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. You'll have to give it, me a it's link It's got to George it. Clooney in it. And few well, that people. sounds real spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> now you I, was just jo- my I was just joking. Now you changed my opinion. Huh? <laughs> no, that's the, um, so first question. So we're asking you ministry questions. Yes, sir. Um, so, you know, Rush Limbaugh, rest in peace, he always used to say that people don't, people don't really know the history except from the time they were born forward. And so from your perspective, from your, your window of perspective, being raised in, in the mountains, and uh, your, your dad was almost like a circuit-riding yes, preacher, sir. pastor in four churches. Uh, you were saved as a young man, went off to Bible college as a young man, and pastor. You have um, coming up on 40 years of experience. Yes, sir. Uh, what, what, are, uh, what are some of the um, things that you have seen in, in the Christian world and then also perspective on uh, America and Christianity and, and um, what are some of the changes for good or for bad, uh, for better, for worse that you've seen in, in your lifetime? I don't think we have enough time for that <laughs> <laughs> answer, but uh, in a real simple ease a response preacher, you know, the book of Psalms asks the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And certainly we've seen in our lifetime, in your lifetime and mine, and Brother Gabe, I think, is a couple years younger than you and I, but in his lifetime as well, that the um, 
so much about our society is is changing. Uh, much of it is not for good, but you know, there's some good. I mean, the very fact we're having this podcast is would not have been technologically even imagined a few years mm-hmm. ago. So while I'm thankful for the advancement in technology, I'm, we live in the information age, the social media world we live in. Nothing's nothing anymore stays, stays private very long. And, uh, so it's easy for us to be revisionist today and evaluate what's happening in the world today based on the information we have available, which of course, many, many years ago, you know, we were far less connected. And, um, when I look back on that era, you know, we're talking about like some of the early missionary works there in Kentucky. Uh, these were people who knew God. These were people who, who uh, their reliance was largely on the Lord because they didn't have the social network and the, the availability to technology that we have today. Um, I would say that generally speaking, technology has has been a curse to the mm-hmm. to the uh, cause of Christ and to you know virtue and and um, you know righteousness because we not you know nothing sacred anymore. That's obvious, but we we really don't rely upon God as a whole like I think we once did. You know that isolation that those preachers would have experienced. Uh, an interesting story about Chester Rock. When Chester got to the mountains, there in the late nineteen uh, twenties, uh, early nineteen thirties, he had actually served in World War One, and he was a beautiful tenor or a, a baritone singer. And uh, he actually, uh, right before his wedding, won a seat on the New York Metropolitan Opera. Mm-hmm. And uh, could have had a life in show business. Well, he went to Bible college uh, there in Pennsylvania uh, in the Philadelphia area and was a member at that time of a very good church, the Westminster United Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And for his honeymoon, he and his wife, Margaret, went to Kentucky to visit Sam Vandermeer, who was a missionary sent out by their church. And uh, while they were there in Kentucky, actually on their way home, uh, the uh, on, in an old Pullman, Pullman Standard Railroad passenger car, they made an altar out of their seat and surrendered their lives to go back to the mountains of Kentucky. Right. When um, Vandermeer one day took them, he said, I want to take you on a, on a, on a little hike. And they went four or five miles through the over several mountain ridges through several what we would call hollers and he brought them to this this flat piece of ground uh, over in Alsey County that would eventually become the where they would build their first church the place I mentioned called Lucky Fork and Sam asked them he said I want you two to pray with me that God would lead somebody to this place and so they got down on their knees like you know just you know tourists and prayed that God would burden somebody to come back to Alsey County, Kentucky and preach the gospel. And thousands of people lived in these mountains. I mean, they were full of people. And uh, World War One and Two, of course, uh, especially World War Two, a lot of young men left for the war and never came back. And, you know, the industry was exploding in Ohio and Michigan mm-hmm. and across the, the upper Midwest. And a lot of people went north for work. And so... There's not nearly as many people that live there today as was there mm-hmm. in those early years. But Chester and Margaret started the first schools there. They they built a hospital there. And, you know, it, they literally 
you know, brought civilization to the mountains. But the uh, it was just a smaller world back then. It was a smaller world. And Chester and Margaret's decision to go back there, their first several years, they weren't having a lot of success. There was this was back in the Billy Sunday era when you know, about probably every every mountaineer just about had a still somewhere up in the hill behind mm-hmm. his his cabin, and uh, they mm-hmm. were you know outsiders were people that they were suspicious of, but. The turning point in Chester and Margaret's ministry is they had a little boy that was born, and they named him Graham Ronk. And two years into Graham's life, uh, the um, uh, scarlet fever came into the mountains, and uh, it didn't escape the parsonage. And uh, when he was two years old, Brother Chester buried their little boy on the mountain hillside behind their house. And it was really the darkest point of their ministry. In their testimony of it, you know, they were on the verge of quitting. But what happened was it actually was a turning point because those mountain people realized that, that their, you know, their some of their superstitions were not all uh, uh, unfounded. They realized, they said, when Brother Ronk buried their, their flesh and blood in our mountain soil, he ain't leaving. This is where he's going to spend the rest of his life. And what looked like a tragedy opened the hearts of hundreds and hundreds of mountain families they, they adopted to their him. ministry. Exactly. And so when I think about that in the perspective of what we're talking about, preacher, the, uh, you know, God calls people to big places. Praise the Lord. We need big inner city churches as well. But I say to any preacher anywhere, you know, the, the old, the old song, you know, bloom where God planted you, wherever mm. God puts you. Uh, the uh, if we could return to some of those old days, I think the the secret is is just going somewhere and giving that community everything you've got, not worrying about what other people think, mm-hmm. not worrying about the movement, but to to be what God wants you to be in that place. The uh, wherever if that's in Webster, New York, if that's Clayton, North Carolina, if that's downtown Rochester for Brother Gabe, wherever God puts us. If we will love the people God has given us, invest our life in them, you know, not use people as stepping stones to grander mm-hmm. things, but just give people all we've got. The, uh, the We know the answer for America is God. And, uh, of course, people learn and experience and discover God through people. And uh, I just think that a, a, a return to I don't think we can ever return to the simpler days of the past because of you know time doesn't stand still. But I, we can sure be we can sure become more authentic and transparent mm-hmm. and genuine in ministry. The uh, you know I'm not one I, of these I've, guys. I've heard Dave Gibbs say that um, that high tech cannot outdo high touch or oh, something awesome. similar. No, that's a great thought. That's a great thought. Yeah. You know, I'd put it in this simple, simple phrase, preacher. The I love the history. You know, I'm a student mm-hmm. of history, and I know you are. But I think we need to be more focused on making history than just reading history. Mm-hmm. And God's put the three of us and all those listening to this podcast. He's put us here for such a time as this, and. We can't go back to the past. We can't go back to yesteryear, but we can take everything good out of yesteryear mm-hmm. and bring it into today. And I think what's killing us, preacher, I think what's starving the church of Jesus Christ today is whether we like it or not, 
the, there may be uh, things we can nitpick about the millennials, but their generation and the generation now that has followed them, they want authenticity, they want transparency, and uh, that's what we need to be. We need to be real. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather, and I know this is maybe controversial, but I'd much rather you come to the office dressed the way you are if this is what's sort of normal in your culture mm-hmm. than to have a tie on every day of the week. Now, I'm not arguing that issue, but that's not going to get anybody to heaven if you've got a polo shirt on or a tie on. Now, we both are the kind of churches that we dress you know, up a little bit mm-hmm. for church. And mm-hmm. that's my personality. That's my taste. But the, when Paul said he had become all things to all men, I don't believe he's talking about compromising, but I think Paul said, I'm going to figure out the the pulse of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to live in that culture so I can reach the pe- people in that culture. And right. The, uh, I just it, think it, being genuine is the answer. Yeah, being genuine, genuine to your culture, being true to your culture, yes, sir. Uh, and biblical at the same time. Amen. Well, let's throw Brother, Brother Gabe's question on there, Brother Absolutely. Gabe. Well, uh, maybe we might switch uh, switch gears here. For those that might be listening that are new, um, I am a church planner out of Lighthouse Bible Baptist Church uh, in the town across the bay from here. And um, I have a more practical sure. church governing question. Okay. So where we are in our church plant, so there's going to be real-time church planting advice here. Um, So where we are in our church plant is that there are some men that are are coming, uh, but as we were talking about the state of America, the state of the nation, uh, I'm in a process of building character. Yes, sir. Uh, So we have some men, but no men that would be eligible for leadership, let's say. And so when it comes to being out of a church to plan a church and becoming separate from that autonomous. church, autonomous, um, it's always been my view that there be male leadership in that yes, church. Yes, so I'm not relying on any leadership from here and things of that nature. So I say all that to put context to the question is that when it comes to forming a 501c3 and satisfying the government yeah. to have a separate bank account sure, and those sure. kinds of things, do you feel that uh, deacons are necessary to be trustees or could I put a faithful woman in that role of trustee to satisfy the government uh, and and wait for faithful sure. men to become deacons later down uh, down the road? And so where would you stand biblically on that or any practical information? That well, you might f- first of all, some of the stuff that we have to do, Brother Gabe, to satisfy government regulations and policies, obviously the Bible doesn't speak to that. So I think that we do what makes sense. We do what works for us. Obviously, we're not of the stripe where we believe in deaconesses. So mm-hmm. I would never encourage you to have, you know, women right, deacons right. in your we, church. I wouldn't make them deacons. But no, exactly. Yeah. But you know, in in your your articles of incorporation, obviously you've got to have like a secretary. You've got to have a. I don't have it in front of me the exact mm-hmm. wording of every position, but the uh, whether those are filled by a man or woman really has nothing to do with the government of your church. That's just the now it needs to be legit, but the paperwork is you know for example if 
for the many years that I pastored Michigan, our officers was, of course, the pastor and any assistant uh, pastors, but our elected officers in the church were deacons, and all of our trustees, uh, about half the deacon board served as trustees. And then we also had a church clerk and a church treasurer that were voted on. Uh, the deacons were voted on every three years, and the clerk and treasurer were voted on annually. The um, I never had, now I believe generally speaking, I think most of the years I pastored there, the treasurer and clerk were men. But I wouldn't have had any problem at all if it had been a woman that had been chosen by the church. The uh, You know, a lot of times when it comes to money, women are better at bookkeeping and better at uh, that. And, of course, the authority in our church in the treasurer wasn't vested in him. It was in the collective group of our deacons and pastoral staff, The uh, of course, elected by the church. But my point is, the uh, as you're building a, a uh, you know, infant church. Obviously, you don't have four or five qualified biblical deacon candidates. So what I did in our early years here in Michigan, in our Constitution, and uh, we never did change it. We kept it this way through all the years of our church. In all the different areas where deacons would play a role, our Constitution said either deacons or qualified men in the church so it gave us a little caveat there. And uh, so my point being is, long before I had deacons, I had a structure set up so that, you know, if a man didn't meet all the biblical qualifications of deacons, it didn't mean in the early years of our church he couldn't help me as a pastor make mm-hmm. some tough decisions. And so the uh, I just had our Constitution worded in such a way, you know, our church family, uh, you know, did, but we worded it in such a way that, Prior to being able to elect officers for the church, the you know the qualified men and ladies of the church could fulfill these responsibilities. So, the uh, I certainly don't think it's unbiblical for you to have a woman as a clerk or a treasurer, or in the event of incorporation papers listed as one of your you know officers. But you know it's it's one of those fine lines as you're talking about that yeah. in the early days of a church, you don't want it to be a one man show, right? You want to have accountability. And, you know, I do believe in pastoral, you know, a church should be pastorally led, but a, a wise preacher friend of mine said that a staff run church will soon become a staff ruined church. You know, the where the Bible says he's given us pastors, evangelists, teachers for the, for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Obviously the layman of the church, they're not only what the church is all about, but the, the, uh, they need, you know, we, we who are independent Baptists believe in congregational church government. So the, uh, the, the, the laity of the church has a huge role to play in the direction of the church. But as a young church, there ain't very many in the laity. So, right. you know, you know, to, to absolutely tap some of your more faithful, uh, the early members to play some of those early roles, I think is completely, that's just part of church planning. It's part of pioneer right. church work. Yeah. But, but like you said, I think it can, it can, there's a fine line there and you can, um, but certainly that's helpful. I appreciate the answer to that. Awesome. Yeah. Amen. All right. Staff. Yes. You ever had a staff infection? Um, Define that. Define that. <laughs> um, staff, can you just give some like general thoughts on hiring staff? When's an appropriate time to hire staff? What uh, you have different staff do? For instance, like um, what, what would a full time assistant pastor? What would his role be in your church? Or what would his 
what would his function be? Uh, kind of like what, what would staff meetings look like? What would a typical week look like for your the people who work for you? Well, for, first of all, that, that's another one of those questions. It's There's a lot of angles to that, but mm-hmm. in some real basic terms, I believe this. I believe that a church should elect its pastor. Now, when you start a church, that's a little different, but like when you came here mm-hmm. to Lighthouse Bible Baptist Church, the church obviously voted you in as pastor. So every staff member that, I, you know, this is my, my you know, long-held view of this, every staff member in your church is actually an extension of you. Uh, the reason that Miss Mager's doing the finances is because you ain't got time to do that. The reason your youth pastor is running the youth uh, activities because you don't have time to do that. They're they're there in your place. So I believe the church needs to vote on the pastor. The uh, that's the role of in the congregational government. Uh, some churches do it this way, but I do not recommend that churches vote on staff members coming. And the reason being is your is the pastor. They're your they're your fellow team members or your employees. So the like the assistant pastor works for the pastor. He, he works for the pastor. He doesn't and, work for the congregation. And, and he works for the pastor who works for the congregation. Mm-hmm. Right. So the congregation absolutely has a has a role to play in it. The and a very wise pastor is going to bring a guy in for a weekend and have him go to eat with this family and have him go to eat with this family and go over to this family's house after church on Sunday night and the preacher is going to talk to all those people. What do you think? You know what? What? What you get to feel? The uh, I think this preacher and this is not easy, but I think that the ideal way to hire staff members is raise up people in your own church. Homegrown is better Absolutely. than hiring from without. Well, because number one, you know them; mm-hmm. they know you; they know your culture sure. already of your church. But uh, that's not always possible. A lot of times we have to go outside, and I just think preachers cannot do enough diligence. I mean, the due diligence here was just essential. You got to know who you're hiring, the uh, because a wrong staff member can cause great problems in a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard many preachers say that the biggest problems they had in their church were all related to staff, you know, mm-hmm. bad hires. So I would, uh, we've just hired some new staff in our church, and I took months and months uh, uh, looking, researching, following up. And, you know, we live in a day and age now, uh, you know, you. I would advise a pastor, you ought to, you ought to call the, your prospective staff members, not just their ministry connections, but their secular employer where they've worked. Of course, everybody needs a criminal background check run right, on them today. Right. I mean, always have, but especially in the day we're living in, uh, the we got to know if people are, are genuine in the real deal. So once, you know, the process of getting staff is, I think, very, very very crucial that you I always have said it this way I don't fire well so therefore I have to hire hire well Mm. and uh, so it's so crucial that you get the right people but once you get the right people I don't view any of my staff in a subservient role Mm. now somebody's got to be the boss and be the one that makes the hard decision but my staff is my team I mean it's it's us and uh, I, I want to so let you give them space to flourish. Absolutely. In area. Well, I even believe this preacher. I believe maybe not with a kid fresh out of Bible college, but mm-hmm. you take a staff member in his mid thirties to early forties. There's a high likelihood if he's a high achiever and he's got a lot on the ball, 
he will not stay with you long term unless he has some control over his own right. destiny. Right. So, you know, I don't say to my staff, you know, there's a cap on what you can make. Uh, the, uh, you know, this is a little box you got to fit in it. I bring my staff in and hope they'll take us to a whole new level as a mm. church. And, um, you know, I look at my staff as well. The, uh, I try to hire people that have got strengths that are opposite of my strengths. Hire your weaknesses. Exactly. And whatever they're able to bring to the table, if they're better at something than I am, I'm going to get out of the way and let God Mm -hmm. get the glory. You know, a lot of times preachers won't admit it, but they can't really get great staff because They're they're insecure. And, you know, I've always said this, my number one job as a preacher, besides preaching the gospel, is getting my people ready for their judgment day. And their judgment day, my layman of my church, their judgment day is every bit as important as mine is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it ain't about who gets patted on the back, who's in charge. It's about let's all get uh, as much done for Christ as we can so we all hear good, uh, you know, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so when I look at my staff, I mean, we're a team. I mean, we're, we're, we're marching design. I mean, we're trying to get the job done for God. And I really think in an ideal church, staff members are like family and, uh, you know, good and bad. I mean, you, you have to maybe sometimes correct and rebuke, but, uh, it's, it's an absolute team, you know? So, so if you, if you just hired these two new guys and, um, just so you're have uh, your ducks in a row, you're on the same page, probably for the first several or maybe the next couple of years, you'd have to meet together more to put your heads together oh, to weekly weekly staff weekly. meetings absolutely what would your weekly staff meetings look like generally the um let me go back to my old ministry mm-hmm. is my better illustration because i had a, a larger and more developed staff there but uh, i had two staff meetings every week i would have on uh wednesday right after lunch uh, the, uh, we had a Christian school and a Bible college. So a lot of staff would not be available, uh, uh, just any time during the day. So our schedule was set out. It's such that I could get everybody that was pastoral staff level. I called it my cabinet level staff. We'd have about 12 in that meeting each, each Wednesday. And, uh, we'd meet right after lunch on Wednesday. And that meeting would normally go several hours. And uh, I always had an agenda, things that I wanted to discuss. Usually we would start with uh, the church calendar, things that were coming up, what was next on the agenda, and everybody in the staff would receive that same printout. But I'd also ask every staff member to any questions. To all of my staff, I would always try to be available whenever they needed me. But we were way more efficient if we got as much done at one setting as possible. So uh, I would ask every staff member to bring Titan notes every week to staff meeting of things they were needing questions on, things they were needing involvement in. And so every week we'd spend a couple hours just sort of organizing our church where we were at the moment. But then later on that same day, usually about an hour or so after that meeting would end, we would the entire staff, all of our Christian school, college, radio station, church, everybody that was on payroll at our church would meet in our church fellowship hall. We had a, we had a chapel there, and uh, we would have a weekly ministry-wide staff meeting. And in that meeting, I would basically preach to our staff, motivate them a little bit, and we'd discuss things that were going on. But that meeting was more connected for the heart of our, of our staff. The pastoral staff meeting uh, was more 
what I would call for the head of our okay. ministry. Now, I had college staff meetings. I had school staff meetings, you know, at different times. But those two weekly meetings were essential to the direction of our church. And we, at one point, I had 58, I think, people on payroll. So, you know, that was really the only way to keep the staff connected. Now, I've got a much smaller staff today than I did then. My staff now is, we have eight staff members. The uh, But our staff now, and we, like you mentioned a moment ago, we have some new staff. So we're, well, and we're you, developing. And you inherited yes, a lot, I, too. I inherited a staff. So they were kind of, they were in their lane when you came. So it was a different. Said, um, said. And yeah. what, I, what I've done in the first four years of our church, I respected a lot of the precedent right. that was set. Uh, you know, certainly. You, you were like the stepdad coming I in. I was the stepdad coming in. So mm -hmm. I've been slow. And, and good people. I mean, everybody that I inherited, they've been good, loyal, faithful uh, people. And so I always view this when a man comes as a pastor of a new church, they sort of call you to be their pastor based on what they believe you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's right for a man to come in and immediately try to change a church overnight Amen. because Amen. if they accepted you the way you are, then you sort of need to accept them mm -hmm. the way they are. Amen. And uh, now if there was some sin in the church or something, I'm not talking about not dealing with that, but generally speaking, I came with the agenda that nobody was going to get fired. Nobody was going to get thrown away. And I've got three staff members that I inherited that are in their 70s. And, uh, you know, several that have worked in our church for decades. And so my vision for them was to let them, you know, in their ministry, on their terms, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, continue to serve the Lord. And I've got a wonderful, wonderful group of people. So it's Amen. been a it's been a sweet experience. But as we're building a, a, a younger team, that would be the, the way I would describe our present situation. Obviously, more of the style of the way I did things in my previous church will, will be implemented sure. as we move forward. But I think this how, how long do you think it takes for a, a pastor now that, cause you started at the work up in Gaylord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, but now you've had the experience of taking over a, a very established church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How long do you think it takes for that church to um, become your church, so to speak? Well, it's probably different to every church, but you know, just for a generic number, I would say four to five years probably before you really become the pastor. You may be entitled, but the, uh, you know, is, is a great example in, you know, we were a, a fairly, the church I pastor today, Fellowship Baptist was a fairly old church, meaning there was a lot of senior citizens in the church. Well, in my first several years of, of pastoring the church, we had, you know, we've probably had 10 to 20 people that have passed away probably closer to 20, you know, shut-ins and older church members. And uh, most of those people have had my predecessor, Dr. Charles Ennis, do their funerals. Understandably uh, so. I, I am thrilled about that. Mm -hmm. I'm not nervous. I'm not. And number one, I followed a very good man. He's still in our church at my request. And uh, he's been nothing but a joy to work right. alongside of. He's a, he's a wonderful man, uh, did a great work. And uh, I, I'm building on his legacy is the way I view it. So the, uh, you know, these people, when they're thinking about their pastor, they weren't thinking about even though I'm not a kid anymore, I'm in my 60s, they weren't thinking about John Jenkins. They right. were thinking about the man who had been their pastor for the last for 40 decades, years. Yeah. So the, um, you know, I haven't really even attempted to steal that from Dr. Ennis. I mm -hmm. mean, those people that view him as their pastor, I'm completely 
thrilled with that. Amen. And uh, so it's it's been that transition. The uh, I think what hurts a lot of guys that take an existing church is they're insecure. Sure. And they're you know they feel like they're always you know fighting the ghost of the previous pastor and. And, well, and I'm I'm thankful here it's because we have a wonderful relationship with the former pastor and which when he comes into town I'll, I'll preach on a Sunday morning awesome. and um, we're doing a commemorative video we're working on um, you know he he's going to be doing part of that uh, you know the um, the history of the church that's awesome and, um, that's awesome yeah and I I guess instinctively I knew when I came here I was even asked what are you going to change and come I said well I don't you don't know me I don't know you I'm not going to change anything. Absolutely, I like the way things are, and, and it's a big enough change to have a be looking at a different person behind the pulpit every week. Well said. Um, you know it, that's a that's a radical change for people's life. What I think changed in our church, I, I've taken the exact same position. Basically, only two things, in my opinion. Maybe others would think it's a little more than this, but the two things that have changed in our church in the four years I've been there is we've we've remodeled some some of our buildings. Mm -hmm. Uh, my predecessor was was very wise with money and uh, had the church in very stable financial position but we, we you know we've got a lot of older buildings that needed needed some tender love and care I mean I've got several things we're, we're dealing with right now today talking to a couple of my men where we got to upgrade and replace some air units and different things the uh, so we've we've done some changes cosmetically in our facility. And then the other change that, that happened that was unusual is COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, the COVID pandemic forced all churches across the land to enter into a new world of ministry we could have never imagined. So there was a lot that changed in the early days of our ministry there in Clayton just because, you know, we couldn't meet in our auditorium. We you know, we were meeting outside. We were live stream only. We we met in our gym for over a year because we could social distance better. So that sort of produced some changes that weren't intended. You know, mm -hmm. they were just the results of it. But the, um, uh, for example, one of the things that we did in COVID, in the early days of COVID, we couldn't have Sunday school for children. We couldn't have junior church. We stopped running our bus ministry. Well, about midway through that first year in the summer of 2020, you know, we realized it had been three or four months. We'd had no junior church, no beginner church, the uh, no bus routes. And we said, you know, we got to do something for our kids. And at that time, our governor was the demand that was being put out was they didn't want people meeting in large groups. I think it was like 10 or something or 10 or 12 or something. So we said, hey, why don't we take Wednesday night and start Sunday school on Wednesday night? Okay. And we can have everybody broke up across the property in the smaller mm -hmm. groups. Well, that turned into an absolute grand yeah. success. Huh. I've, I've, I've heard of that before. With other We're guys. still doing it. Our, our midweek service is Sunday school. That's cool. And all the adult classes meet in their locations. The teens meet in their location. The, all the children's ministries. So that was a change that that has been a real positive in our church, but it wasn't really planned. We mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't come as pastor and say, we're going to move Sunday school to Wednesday night. The, it was COVID related. And huh. what happened was we started an early service in November of 2020 for people that were really higher risk. And we called that, we started that one at nine 30 on Sunday morning, which was in the place of Sunday school, uh, the, uh, which we call a mask mandatory service. So everyone who came to that service had to take the highest precautions that were being asked for by the government. And 
I mean, that was like within a couple of weeks, like 60 people a week were coming to that early service. A lot of our older folks that were wow. afraid to come out. So we, we really couldn't start Sunday school back up right there because we had that service at that spot. Yeah. And hey, so I think, I think brother Gabe has a question. Didn't you have a question about COVID? Uh, yeah, well, I was going to pick up on something you said earlier, but we could move on since you got into COVID about evangelism and COVID, uh, post COVID. Yes, sir. Um, the changes that, uh, you feel just some uh, things that you may be seeing in other churches as you travel in your own church, how evangelism has changed uh, in COVID times and post COVID now we're past it, but uh, still it seems like the mood of the nation has changed. The personality of the nation has changed. Definitely. And um, I, I, I'll, I'll chime in there. Um, I I was, I was talking to a, uh, a guy who's, does a lot of the uh, work around our church. He's looking at a, he's going to put in a carpet and area has done other flooring, but he owns a carry Lake around here is a, it's a big, beautiful wedding facilities where people yes, rent sir. it out. He's building a hotel there and there's a wow. lot of dollars to be made off of weddings. So way more than yes, building, sir. way more yes, than construction. Sir. Um, and, and he was saying since COVID, he said the sizes of attendance at weddings have gone way down. I'm sure. So I'm it's sure. not even in church. It's like even going to yeah. funerals or weddings. So that yeah. even in the secular realm, uh, it, it has had an impact on gatherings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also probably has something to do with the, the generation that you sure. talked about wanting more authenticity, genuine, uh, usually smaller crowds are usually uh, more intimate and things of that nature. So I think even the personality of the new generations coming up is causing some of that. So what would you say is the biggest thing you've seen in the change in evangelism or, or new strategies sure. that you might think about uh, well, f- when it first comes to of all, reaching I th- people? I think, really, Gabe, and I got a bunch of ideas there, but I think one of the things that's that's messed our group of churches up, and by ours I mean our kind of churches, right. is – Somewhere in our preaching over the last 30, 40 years, we doctrinalized methodology and almost presented it in such a way that if you do it any other way than this, you're not, you know, following the Bible. And of course, we all understand that Jesus, you know, sent out the disciples two by two. And of course, in the modern era, we would equate that to, you know, people going out door to door in evangelism. Well, certainly I believe in door-to-door evangelism. Our church is right now engaged in a massive campaign. It's a, We're taking door hangers out, and we're trying to put a door hanger invitation with a gospel on it and an invitation to our church on every door within a 15-mile radius of our church. Well, our math is it's going to take us two years to do it, and that's with, you know, you know, 15, 20 people coming out every Saturday, it's going to take us two years to, to get all these doors. And, uh, of course, door hanger is a little less aggressive way to, to do door-to-door evangelism. Mm-hmm. But every single week, we're talking to people. You know, when I come up to a house and there's nobody home, obviously I'm going to put a door hanger on their door. But if I walk up to their door and their screen door's open and I can see they're watching TV in there, I'm not going to put a door hanger on their door. I'm going to knock on their door. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're interacting with a lot of people, people out doing their lawn, washing their car. And uh, we're having people come to church almost every Sunday from this door hanger campaign last Sunday. 
the uh, two young men walked the aisle, and one got the assurance of his salvation, one got saved, and it's the result of, of our door hanger outreach. And so um, the uh, I'm for door-to-door, but the problem is we preach that in such a way that we almost made it appear like that's the only way to do evangelism. And a, a very famous preacher friend of mine, an evangelist, and Brother brother Jack knows this preacher as well, made this statement years He made this statement like, 25 years ago, that soul winning is not really soul winning. He said it's prospect hunting. And back at that time, this well-known evangelist said, you've got to knock on 12 doors to find one good prospect. And his point was, don't get discouraged if people aren't interested because you're not out there trying to twist people's arms. You're looking for people who are interested, and you got to knock on 12 doors to find one person. I would be a little more spiritual in my description of it. I think we, as we go soul winning, we're looking for people who are open to the gospel. We're looking for people who are under conviction. We're looking for people that it's discernible gods at work in their life. And when people reject us, don't be offended by that. Just keep on going. Well, COVID, I think, Brother Gabe has created the reality that what this evangelist said is even more true the number one thing I need to do as a pastor is I need to be looking for people that want what I have to say. And uh, door-to-door sowing is not the only way to find them. Uh, as you and I were talking before the podcast today, uh, one of the great burdens that I've got is getting in the public schools. You know, they are a mission field. And uh, anyway, if you can get in with a Bible club, you can get in through, you know, um, uh, youth for Christ, or you can get in with uh, uh, um, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, for years, my youth pastor back in Michigan was uh, a coach in our public school. He he coached basketball. He coached in the football. I mean, you talk about an open door. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get kids to to you know give you their heart if you're their their coach. And so, I would challenge every in the nation who's listened to this podcast, try to get in your public schools, Amen. especially with all the budget constraints that are going on in our public schools today. A lot of public schools are looking for people from the yeah. community. E- to even coach, in the state of New York, um, yeah. people have Bible clubs and they're sponsored by a student and every week of the world, people can go in there. We've got a fellow in our Sheet. church, Tommy, one of our deacons here and uh, every week of the world, he has a Bible club. He also is a security. He works security at the awesome. school. Awesome. And so he's greeting all the kids coming yeah, he, in off the uh, school bus. And um, he put on an event this last spring. Uh, we had a couple of our teenagers preach there and stuff. But he had over a hundred. Were you at that? No, I, w- he, I wasn't able to. Okay. Make that. That's um, incredible. But he had over a hundred kids out to that. And, you know, fed them all pizza and had different kids singing. And, you know, um, and then we had couple of our kids preach and this was at the public school i love it at the public school i love it preaching a gospel in new york state in new york state that's amazing yeah that's a bit different i think to answer your question in a simple you know tying in that illustration i think brother gabe we need to figure out what to work in our community and uh you know we did a thing years ago there in michigan where we started a live nativity now that was a lot of work you know we had donkeys and sheep and camels and i mean built a big big uh, massive uh, uh props for it but we had several years where we had four and five thousand people attend wow. in our little town i mean uh, churches would fill you know buses full and drive you know an hour and a half two hours to come to take in our live nativity the uh 
we were in a tourist town, and uh, it was it was something the community was very thankful that we did. And uh, man, we reaped we reaped uh, the. Uh, I'm thinking of one young couple. Uh, the uh, his name was Cody Cross. He and his wife. Uh, he he's a nurse, and she is a phd she's actually at the time she was the head pharmacist for the veterans affairs administration in all of northern michigan she was a doctor but she was a phd not an md and uh, the uh, they got reached through our through our uh uh live nativity so uh, i would say figure out what works in your town i mean my son's church there's a big festival in their town there in southern michigan and they set up a tent every year because uh, it's there's a parade associated with it and it's in the time of the year where it's hot out and uh, they go buy four or five thousand bottles of water take all the labels off of them and remake a new label that's got their church name and invitation they've had scores of people attend church from getting a water bottle at a parade. So I think we just figure out what will enable us to find people that are looking for God. And, uh, you know, we're not Calvinistic in our theology, but we also, while we believe that God doesn't predetermine who goes to heaven or hell, I think we all would agree we believe in the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. And God sovereignly will show you some things uh, that will work in your town, Brother Gabriel, that wouldn't work where I'm at. Mm-hmm. He'll sovereignly show the preacher some things that'll work here in Webster that wouldn't work in you know downtown Rochester. So you're not a liberal or a, a compromiser if you got an idea that works unique to you that doesn't work somewhere else. Hey, so on Sunday morning, there's no Sunday school at your church. There's no Sunday school at our church, and it's on Wednesday night. It's on Wednesday night. Yeah, I've known, I've I've heard, and I've I've had some other preacher friends tell me that they've had changed Sunday school from. Sunday morning before the morning service to Wednesday night and loved it. Well, let me throw a real challenging idea out. Two, two thoughts about it. Number one, by not having Sunday school, and I'm not against Sunday school at all. I believe yeah. in it. But it gives all of your energy to one service. Right. So our Sunday morning service is better than it used to be mm-hmm. because everything's geared towards that service. All the energy is going exactly. towards that one. Yeah. But on the other side, I told my church this early on, and it was a little bit of a of a foreign concept, but my wonderful church family has embraced this, and we're going to see it continue, Lord willing, for years to come. I've told our church, let's not get comfortable with anything. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because we may do this for a while, and it may work for a month. It may work for a year. It may work for two years. But if it stops working, let's mm-hmm. let's sit down and reevaluate a better way to do it. I think we, we're, we're so traditional in our thinking that once we get in a, in a path, we're afraid to ever change anything for fear people will think we're a compromiser. But the, uh, I've said this for years. If what you're doing is not working, stop it and analyze it. You know, doctrine's not open for debate. That's Truth right. isn't open for debate. But methodology ought to be regularly evaluated for its effectiveness. You know, I'm sure, preacher, you've got some favorite places you've taken your family on vacation. Right. But I'm sure. Sometimes you're ready for a new destination. Sometimes you're ready for a new idea. And, uh, you know, I I laugh about people that go to a restaurant and always order the same thing. They say, well, you know, at least I'm consistent. Yeah, but you're boring also. Amen. (laughs) uh, So, again, hey, maybe someone's wired in such a way. And and why not try something if it doesn't work? Yeah. well, it doesn't work. Right? Preachers, tell me if this isn't true. We're afraid of the word change. Now, I know the Bible says metal not within that well, are given I, to change. Well, since since you're on this, I, I've somebody brought this up. 
uh, this verse, and I've always heard it out of context. Uh, and then when I heard it in context, it blew my mind. <laughs> Teach us. Okay. First Timothy 4.2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. So having conscience seared with hot iron, I've always heard it growing up, is that... Um, it, you know, if, if you look at something you're not supposed to the first time, boy, man, that really stings. But then the second time, oh, it feels like, and then then it's always about blatant sin. Yes, sir. Well, having your conscience seared as with a hot iron has to do with religion. It doesn't have to do with some powerful, rank sin. Powerful. For, for forbidding to marry and forbidding to eat meats. That's religious. So stuff. you you can um you know you you can psych somebody out religiously if you don't have Sunday school on Sunday morning, man. You are sinning against God. God cannot bless your church, um, and, and so a lot of times we that's the way people think, isn't it? We we teach we teach uh, the um, commandments of God for the doctrines the doctrines of men for the commandments of yes, God. Yes, sir. Yeah, and as you remember, preacher Jesus said, the Pharisees ye have made the truth of God of none effect mm-hmm. through, through your, your traditions. traditions. So. And that's what I meant when I said, Brother Gabe, that I think in some of our preaching through the years, we have we have doctrinalized methodology. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember early on when when churches started having screens in their auditoriums. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, instantly I heard preachers across the nation say, well, that's a sign of churches going the wrong direction. And uh, so I didn't want to go the wrong direction, so I didn't even entertain that idea. And, uh, you know, I had a team at our church there in Michigan a, a lot had a good group of people that were pretty IT connected and they were constantly saying preacher what's the big deal why can't we why can't we enhance our service mm-hmm. with more technology and uh, so I finally relented you know I compromised and we got screens <laughs> and when we moved to North Carolina our church did we had a big big screen it was in the auditorium one that rolled down but we didn't have we didn't function with it as, as we would function with it now and my own precious wife, she said, I get so much more out of the preaching when with the screens because, you know, uh, the way I do my sermons at home, you know, I'll have 15, 20 slides for one of my messages, and I'll have my points and subpoints. And my wife said, it's so much easier to follow you when mm-hmm. I have that second. So think about it. Here we were thinking it's wrong, and it's actually making it where people can learn the Bible better. Communicating better. And so... There's no doubt about it. Some churches take technology way too far and, you know, replace, you know, the Holy Spirit with technology. But that sort of, you know, technology is a is a neutral thing. It's not, it can be used in a wrong way. Just like, you know, all of us preach against Facebook for, for <laughs> right. I mean, how until, wicked it is. Until COVID. And now every one of us need Facebook to broadcast our services mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. And uh, which there's a, a lot of damage was done to the cause of Christ with social media. But that doesn't mean social media was wrong. It means the sinners using it can misuse mm-hmm. it. It's sort of like guns. You know, the gun control debate, we all know guns don't kill people. People use guns to kill people. Yeah. And, you know, our liberal friends would have us to believe the answer for crime is get rid of guns. We who have a little bit more sane uh, worldview realize that if you get rid of all the legal guns, all you're going to have is illegal guns. And so the best way to, to 
prevent someone breaking into your house and killing your family is when they step through the door, they, they, they meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, uh, now, I don't ever want to kill anybody, and I know none, none of us do, but the uh, protecting my family is the safest way uh, to keep that from happening. My point simply is, is that whether it's technology, whatever it is, when the Bible says preacher met or not with them that are given to change, Absolutely, I would say amen to that if we're talking about changing the landmarks. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we're commanded, don't move the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. But change, think about this. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay. Salvation is a radical change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul said in Romans 12, too, be, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Mm-hmm by the renewing of your mind. Every day that I get in this book and study it, the Holy Spirit is producing massive change in my life. So change for the sake of change is not good. But change if you were wrong is essential. And what's happened in my ministry over the years is I have matured and I've grown and I've experienced and gained hopefully in wisdom. I have found out there's some things that I'm, I can do better than I used mm. to do it. So that's not... What, what's, the, what's the old saying? Is it that the, the means don't change, but the methods... Yeah, I've heard or, that or the, Yeah, I've heard that statement. one or the other. You um, know, I, awesome like, story. I was, in a, I was in a camp meeting a couple weeks ago in North Carolina, and uh, the preacher said that when he was a young preacher, the first time he ever got asked to hold a revival, he's just a preacher, a young preacher kid, he got asked to hold a revival in a Methodist church. And he went to his pastor. He was a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, I think he was, and went to his pastor and said, what do I do? I've been asked to hold a revival in this Methodist church. And his preacher said, go preach. Man, I, they need revival over there. So he goes to this Methodist church, and when he gets in the auditorium, he notices there's two pulpits. He'd never been in a church with what they call a split chancel. And uh, he asked the janitor when he was letting him in the building, he goes, why is there two pulpits? He said, well, <laughs> We preach from this one over here, and we read the Scripture from over here. So this young preacher said the opening night of the revival, he went over to this pulpit and read his text, and then he ran over to this pulpit and started preaching. And he said uh, when he had to refer to another verse, he ran over here and and, uh, uh, read his text in this pulpit again and ran ran over here. And, of course, we were all dying laughing. But uh, what an illustration of what happens to us. The um, We get used to something. And we think anything different is wrong. And, you know, I don't want nothing to do with going liberal or going left. I mean, I'm, I'm old-time religion. I, 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 my theme song is give me that old-time religion. But if I can be more effective, if we can be more viable, the uh, you said it great, preacher, here Sunday, that Bruce Fry is such a, a gracious and a spirit-filled preacher that your people, after having him here a year mm-hmm. ago and back this year, they had so much confidence in his spirit that they invited everybody they knew to church. Mm-hmm. And uh, shame on us right. if our church people spend years trying to get a loved one to come to church and they finally come to church and we blow their brains out the first time they come to church, offend them beyond compare, and say, bless God, they couldn't take the preaching. 
I love hard preaching. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is hard preachers. Mm-hmm. The uh, buddy, if you're gonna, you need to preach on hell once in a while. But if you're gonna preach on hell, you better do it with a tear in the corner of your mm-hmm. eye. The uh, I think we need to stay old time religion. We need to stay strong in our convictions and our preaching. It, but we need to be engaged I, I, mentally. Uh, I heard a saying: "Is a um, minister think outside the box, but inside the book." What a statement! Yeah, not good. I got that's one. Getting, pre- that's I, getting written down. <laughs> that's going to get quoted. So, uh, so while COVID forced a lot of preachers to be flexible and to think outside that's, the box, that's a great. Word. We ought to maintain, Amen, that spirit, that same spirit that mm-hmm. we were forced into, but voluntarily choose now yeah. to continually evaluate, try things, different things that might work for our context and our particular area. And try be to, constantly uh, plotting and yeah. scheming all the time about how we can reach people for Christ. I was watching a documentary about the, those the three guys that escaped from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Yes. Man, they put a lot of thought and effort into uh, digging holes and making a raft out of raincoats and everything and escaped Alcatraz. You know, um, how, how much more thought should we be putting into getting the gospel out? Uh, to people, um, I do have a practical question yes, for sir. you. Then, yes, sir. Then, How uh, much time do we have? Because I've got some more. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, I, I just let me take your question. Well, let me let me put a capsule on what we just said, preacher. If philosophically you know the answer to this, it it keeps so many boundaries clear. Is our job to reach the world with the gospel, or is our job? to preach the gospel to the world? I think the answer is our job is to preach the gospel to the world. If that's our mandate, then we have to do it the Bible way. But if our goal is to reach the world with the gospel, then anything that works goes. Much of the drift in the wrong direction we've seen in American Christianity is because people don't understand that principle. If my job is to preach the gospel and I do it God's way, God the Holy Spirit, with me being a clean vessel, is going to use me to reach people. But if it's reach rather than preach, Mm -hmm. then we have a rock concert, Mm -hmm. you know, we... We throw away every distinctive, anything that makes us attractive. And many of the people in the more contemporary church world are sweet right. and sincere people. Mm-hmm. But they they philosophically were never taught what I just explained. Right. Yeah. And so much of the boundaries get figured out when you know what your mandate is. Yeah, it's, right. an, it's an old Tozer saying. You, you say you're reaching them, but you're reaching them with what? Right. You say you're exactly. winning them, but you're winning them to what? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So I had a question about, um, last question from me. Then we'll go to game. <laughs> what is, now what is, I'm fascinated with the Wednesday night Sunday school. So what does Wednesday night Sunday school look like? Like how is that broken down and like how it, many adult classes it, you have in kids classes? Just like Sunday school. Okay. Everybody goes to their class at the seven o'clock hour. All of our children, our children all have one building they're in. Our fellowship kids building is actually the official name of it's the Barbara Ennis Early Education Ministry Center building. We totally remodeled 
about a year and a half ago that we named after our founding pastor's wife, a wonderful Christian lady. Pray for her, by the way. She uh, just had two stents put in last week, and uh, we're thankful there was no heart damage uh, for a sister in us. But the uh, all of our children go there. They have, you know, the beginner classes, the primary classes, junior classes. And it's just like Wednesday night Sunday school, except our We've always been a Patch the Pirate Club church. We've had mm-hmm. that children's ministry. And we use the Patch the Pirate curriculum and format uh, throughout the school year for all of those those. So areas. summer looks different. Yes, summer looks different. And um, the uh, so that happens for the children. We have, of course, our, our bed baby nursery, our toddler nursery. And then the teen classes and adult classes all meet in the locations they would have met in for Sunday morning, Sunday school. But here's what happened, preacher. When I came as pastor on a Wednesday night, there might be 25 or 30 cars in the parking lot. Uh, about six, seven months into our Wednesday night, Sunday school, I went out once Wednesday night and counted the parking lot. And I think it was like 90 cars in the parking lot. And so our attendance boomed on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically one hour from seven to eight, just like Sunday school would have been. And, um, you know, we have, I think we have four, let's see, but can, yeah, four adult classes the, that meet and uh, our teen classes. It, it's just been a wonderful experience. And what I love, and of course I pastor in the South, so this is a little more prevalent, but many Wednesday nights after church, you look across our parking lot, a half hour, 45 minutes after church, and there's still 70, 80 people in the parking lot Sitting fellowshipping. And, and so it's just been a, it's been real healthy for us. And it might be the worst thing somebody else could do. It may not be effective yeah. in their church at all. So how many adult Sunday school classes do you have? We have we have an auditorium Sunday school class. We have a young adult Sunday school class. We have a couple Sunday school class, and we have what's called the New Beginning Sunday school okay. class. Do, do people like sign classes. up for it? Is it like a curriculum, or is it just like you belong to a class? We are developing it in a deeper fashion to become more like every quarter there's a different curriculum. Just, you can sign up. And, yeah, people can choose okay. where they go. But at present, like the class that I'm in right now, we're doing a Wednesday night. I saw you got some in your financial office the the book about one another mm-hmm. the we're using that as our curriculum on awesome, wednesday night awesome the teacher's got a book everybody's got a got a book in the class the um but we're on the verge of starting a new members class that will also take place wednesday night that will be us it'll be like a eight week Cyclical every eight thing. weeks yeah the same curriculum happens over and over again so whatever point you jump in you just mm-hmm. finish the yeah, eight weeks yeah. wow. and uh, we want to do that the uh we want to break our teen uh, department up into more classes. Uh, I would say by this time next year, we'll probably have five or six more classes in okay. our in our Wednesday night program. The uh, but it's it's been very healthy for our church, and I'm not saying we'll never go back to a Sunday morning. You know, just in this season, it really is working best. You know, I'll give you a great example. We both love dearly, Brother Kenny Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, brother Kenny, of course, almost died during COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was one of the early people that I knew that got it seriously. And uh, brother Kenny preached for me just just a couple months ago. And brother Kenny said they're still just doing Sunday morning church. Mm -hmm. They're not having Sunday night church. And I don't look at that and say, well, brother Kenny's compromising. Yeah, I know know two different guys, too, that uh, and they're not compromisers brother Kenny's but they have left off their sunday night yeah. is you know he's you know right there in bailey's crossroads he's a suburb of dc you know it, 
I, the culture of his church, I got no business mm-hmm. deciding what culturally works mm-hmm. and doesn't work in his church. And so, you know, I would encourage any church to do everything you can to get everything done you need to get done for God in your church. But if that doesn't work for him at this season, yeah. uh, if I could beg every preacher, listen to me today, preacher, is we need to quit being experts on everybody else's ministry. Amen. You know, I, I've been asked for years when I go preach somewhere, a, a man will say to me, you know, Brother James, what do you think about Brother so-and-so? And they're usually talking about some well-known pastor who's halfway across the country. And, of course, I, I don't try to be unkind, but I've always wanted to ask that preacher, drop me off a mile from your church at the gas station. Let me ask that gas station attendant if he knows where your church is. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth is, if we're not careful, we're worried about what Dr. So-and-so is doing somewhere else in within a mile radius of our church. People don't even know. We have no influence. Yeah. And I'm not saying we don't have a right to, especially guys that have Bible colleges and stuff, because obviously they're asking us to send our kids to them. But my number one concern is what God's called me to do in Johnson County, North Carolina. And uh, I want to have a maximum impact for Jesus Christ in my public schools, in my community, in government, in the workplace. I want to I want to touch every facet of my community. And if I'm focused on that, I ain't got time to be worrying about what y'all are doing in Amen. Webster, New York. Amen. And uh, if we could if we could get out of our denominational thinking where we think we're a denomination, we're, we, we are not a denomination. And uh, the uh, focus on what God's given us to do. And uh, to me, it's just, the, it's a recipe of, for more success and it's a recipe for a whole lot more peace of mind. Amen. Amen. Okay, one last well, question. Okay, well, I'd, I'd like to pick up on something you said earlier about how um, it is our job as preachers to prepare people for judgment. Yes, sir. And I also see it that way and I see, you know, you know, God calling me to be a preacher to help others Amen. Amen. have the best judgment they can they can get. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that being said, I can remember growing up in independent uh, fundamental Baptist churches, growing up, uh, hearing a lot more preaching on that than I would tend to do here now. And so, my question to you is about preaching and how it's changed. Uh, subject matter has changed over time, and what do you? It's not so much a question, but just trying to see what your observation has been yes, over the over yes, the years on preaching and well, subject well, there's, matter. Well, there's two aspects. Obviously, we probably are observing some decline in preachers having the courage they need to have to preach the whole counsel of God. But with that said, I think that the the people that God has given you to to work with, Brother Gabe, you're going to stand before God for how you were an under-shepherd. And I think what happened years ago, I think a lot of our preaching tended to be issue-oriented preaching. Now, I'm not rabidly uh, going to you know get on this uh, hobby horse here, but I think we need more expository preaching in our churches. And uh, there may be some debate about how expository, expository you're talking about is. But, uh, you know, I preach topically, but I also preach expositorily. And my point is this. The only thing that's going to change anybody's life is the Word of God. It's not me. It's not the sermon illustration. The sermon illustration may help cement the truth, but 
The only thing that changes lives is the word of God. And the best soul-winning testimony my church can have is that the people in my church, Christianity is working for them. So I think some of what we are observing is preachers that have realized that our preaching maybe in the 70s and 80s was so issue-oriented that we weren't preaching the Bible. You know, we were maybe preaching about an issue, but uh, if you expositorily go through the Bible, most of the things that people are dealing with in their life get addressed Mm -hmm. just by the next verse in the text. And um, the, uh, it, it also is a lot easier to know what to preach if you're preaching expository because you preach the next verse. Right. The, uh, so there's, there's a lot of virtue there. But I think, generally speaking, that I'm for old-fashioned, rareback, and letter-rip preaching. I mean, I like fiery preaching. But what I love most of all is I love a bunch of Bible that changes my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think... In, in the positive side of it, we're seeing a lot of preachers get down where their people are living and addressing the needs in their life today. Years ago, I think a lot of our preaching tended to be very doctrinal. Now, now I'm for that, but not practical enough. You know, this, tonight I'm going to preach on three reasons why we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good subject to deal with, but how's that going to help me pay my bills this week? You know, my my... my kid just, you know, left home and went to the world. How's that going to get my kid back? So I'm for doctrinal preaching, but I think we as men of God need to study the book and we need to find out the answers for broken people and help those broken people find hope again in God. And, uh, you know, we're de- as you and I talked earlier, Brother Gabe, our culture is so broken. I mean, the, the nuclear family doesn't exist anymore. I mean, uh, you know, more than half the homes in America have been broken by divorce. Just a week ago, I saw a statistic that one out of every four children in America is being raised in a single-parent home. I mean, we are dealing with dysfunction and brokenness at a level we've never dealt at it before. And I, if anything, I think we preachers have to know more than we've ever known. We, I don't mean we got to be psychologists, but you better understand a little bit more than right. just, you know, you know, systematic theology. Now, again, the Bible is what changes lives. And so we we need to preach the book like we've never preached it before. But I I think we need to, it needs to be where people are living. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that, but, you know, getting more to the the doctrinal aspects, but how does that doctrine practically apply to me today and where I'm living? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Hey, Thanks for being on, Brother Jenkins. Well, it has been a joy. I know I got to do this the last time I was here, but the uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled for preachers like you, preacher. I mean, I love you in the Lord and count you as a dear friend, but I appreciate preachers who are not afraid of technology and who are willing to jump into this. I don't want to use the wrong word, but you know, it, it can almost be a cesspool in the world of podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, I'm just appreciative of a podcast that's got. W- one clear objective, and that is to help people. <laughs> not to attack, not to yeah, destroy, yeah. but to help people. We, you mean we could have had a podcast and just talked about all, all the terrible people out there? And the, 
Well, if we want to get discouraged, there's a lot to talk about. Isn't <laughs> amen, there? amen. Well, it's been a blessing having you on. I I always uh, look at the podcast as um, I, I'm going to ask you questions that I'm interested in, and then if there happens to be someone else out there that's interested in the same things, they amen. can listen in. Amen. And if they're not interested, they can uh, listen to a different podcast. Amen. Wonderful thought. Wonderful thought. <laughs> All right. Thanks uh, God for the bless you. And we do thank picture. our audience for tuning in. And, uh, and God bless each and every one of you. And uh, uh, tomorrow we're doing an interview with Brother Bruce Fry. Well, that, what, I your, strongly your urge you to listen. It'll hey, be a man, blessing. That will be, be a good. blessing. All right. Thanks for being on, Brother Gabe. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.